0: But I just kind of thought it was cute and convenient at first, like, oh, finally, everyone who didn't understand is going to understand how hard it is to be home. And, you know, everyone's going to do it with us for the last month. And then in May, then we'll all get to break out together. Won't that be fun? And that is not what happened.
1: (laughs) Hi, I'm Jessica Pate, host of Brave Together podcast. I believe with all my heart that connection and community are critical to surviving well and with joy amidst the chronic hardship of an altered motherhood. And I believe that stories are the currency of human connection. This podcast is meant to serve, encourage, and inspire you in your motherhood journey as I share stories, diverse voices, and practical takeaways. Over the years, I have surrounded myself with fellow brave moms who get it, who truly understand what this beautiful and brutal journey is all about. I want this for every mom. The story of Izzy Duval comes from Lawrence, Kansas. And when Izzy's sweet four-pound baby girl came home from the NICU, Izzy and her husband broke the news to all of their friends, family, church, and community that they would be entering a six-month quarantine, according to their pediatrician's recommendations, to protect baby Dallas's lungs from viruses. It being 2018, none of us knew what was headed our way in 2020, and the idea Of no contact and isolation still seemed, on the whole, totally bizarre. But two years early, Izzy and her family stepped into a life similar to the one we'd all become familiar with.
0: We were generally met with a somewhat perplexed response: Corn, what? Most people had no idea what we were talking about, but we took it in stride. My previously social husband and I said no to all visitors, met grandparents at the door with hand sanitizer, and asked gracious church members not to expect a visit when dropping off meals for us. I got a big red sign that said, stop, I'm a preemie, for the car seat, and learned how to do the not-so-subtle sidestep away from the well-meaning hands that reached for those of my precious girls while on walks. Mama Bear vibe strong from the get-go. At first, quarantine was nice. Our life had been nonstop for as long as I could remember, and being home with our baby was peaceful, sleepless, but still and calm. I FaceTimed friends and saw my parents when there was not a sniffle to be found. We breezed through the holidays, watching Christmas movies and doing cute little Instagram updates and generally enjoying the coziness of being a new family.
1: Then came January.
0: Despite all of our best efforts, sweet Dallas caught RSV, and we ended up back in the hospital. She was extremely sick. On day five of the virus, while my husband ran home to take the dogs out, Dallas's O2 sats plummeted, while medical teams rushed around me, reviving my tiny girl. Codes were called, and I found myself uttering the only words I could possibly think of. "Jesus, help her. We had already nearly lost her in the NICU. I couldn't go through this again. But I did, and she made it we settled even more into the quarantine, with a gut instinct that this decision was inexplicably life-saving for our baby girl. Many thought we were nuts, most misunderstood, but we knew it was temporary. Or so we thought. That winter, I learned a lot of ways to keep my mind busy, a true act of self-care for my anxiety disorder and undealt with PTSD. I listened to every podcast I could find about the NICU and motherhood, I dove headfirst into a wild total elimination diet to help my baby's food intolerances. I watched every episode of Call the Midwife and relished in my evening glass of wine. Stuck in isolation, I can't say my mental health was good, but I survived. It's what us mamas do.
1: Izzy and her family were in quarantine, learning how to cope with isolation. And I think most moms on this journey can relate to the survival mentality that kicks in, that fight or flight instinct that we've all been given. Izzy and her family found some relief in the spring and summer of 2019. They were able to finally see family, friends, eat out, visit the zoo, Go to coffee shops. Things we all have at one point or another taken for granted.
0: But that fall, my girl's health started to go downhill again. She was sick constantly and strange and scary neurological symptoms had begun to pop up. Then that December, Dallas was hospitalized again for a week. At first, we thought with the flu, but then suddenly everything changed. My one-year-old was getting a CT and neurology was contacted for an emergency consult. And just like that, we were thrust into the medically complex world. We made the heartbreaking decision to return to quarantine again until spring. No more coffee shops, no more church, no more friends, no more Target. It's just one more winter, I said to myself. You can do this. So we stayed home once more. This time, though, it was anything but peaceful. We were in the midst of a rare diagnosis process for our one-year-old who was having daily migraines and terrifying attacks of seizures, paralysis, and bizarre neurological episodes. Tests were being ordered, specialists referred, therapies beginning, and it was just plain hard. It felt like a strange, strange world when I found myself dressing my toddler in cute little party outfits for her specialist appointments because when else would she wear these? I spent most of the second wave of our quarantine learning how to be a caretaker and an advocate, reading research articles I barely understood, joining a thousand Facebook groups, and diving headfirst into this beautiful secret that is the special needs community. And then,
1: one day in March, my husband told me to stock up on toilet paper. March of 2020 the world shut down. We all stepped into quarantine. Only for Izzy's family, it was not a new way of life. It was a continuation. At first, I thought it was a little convenient and a little
0: funny that everyone would join us for our last quote-unquote month of quarantine number two.
1: Oh, my sweet, sweet little mind, how little I knew. So now, it's almost 2021, and with the exception of that beautiful spring in 2019, Izzy and her family have been living in quarantine for well over two years.
0: It's more normal to us than life outside of our little house at this point. It's often
1: boring, usually messy, and my husband is nearly always the only one to make it out of his pajamas. I wanted to chat with Izzy. She's a young mom of a child with extreme medical needs, and a member of the incredible We Are Brave community, just starting on her journey with Dallas. But in many ways, she's a veteran. After not one, but two years of intense quarantine, I knew she had incredible endurance, and I wanted to garner a few nuggets of wisdom from this amazing mom. How does her story speak into this time where the worst of COVID seems to be behind us, But families are still exhausted and need endurance. I think with 2022, we could all use some encouragement for when the hard parts of life feel like marathons instead of sprints. So just before the new year, we decided to hop on a call. Hi, Izzy. Welcome to Season 3 of Brave Together podcast. I'm just so excited to be here. So thank you. As you know, probably by now, I so passionately believe that when we share our love and war motherhood stories so transparently that we are more connected to one another. And so let's dive right into your story. The first thing I want to ask you, Izzy, is how did you handle everyone's questions and opinions and maybe even judgments? about your first quarantine with Dallas after you brought her home from the NICU. We were thrust headfirst
0: into this journey of medical complexity and, and all of this. Um, so I think at the time, I really was just relying on my instinct that we needed to keep her safe. And I think a lot of people thought because we're first-time parents and we'd had this very traumatic birth experience and we were in the NICU, I think they thought like, well, you're probably experiencing anxiety. Well, yes, because I do have a lot of anxiety. (laughs) But there was just this other, just kind of quieter knowing in me that was like, she was so fragile when she was born. And it wasn't necessarily like a breathing thing. Most babies struggle to breathe. But with her, she just seemed like very fragile, even once we got her home and stable. And so I think I just relied on that instinct in me, which is not always something that I do. Um, And I think I tried to explain a lot and I'm an Enneagram four. So it's very important to me that people (laughs) understand me and that I be known. So I probably did some over-explaining. But I think a couple months into it, is when Dallas got RSV and ended up back in the hospital. And I think at that point we were like, okay, my husband and I were like, we're not crazy or not being overprotective. There really is something going on that makes her more susceptible to handling illness really poorly. And since she was born during RSV season, um, it just seemed really, really important that we keep her home. And so I think there definitely was some judgments, I think, we did our best to be gracious and to explain, but at the end of the day, we just knew it's what we needed to do for her. And so I just tried my best to let it just roll off my back.
1: I, I raise this because whether it's a quarantine or any other boundary that you create for what is best for your child, what is best for your family, sometimes it's really hard to hold those boundaries with the people who are closest to you, your family, your family, tends to think that they're the exception. Yeah. And you know, the grandparents, you know, maybe they thought that they were exempt. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Yeah. And it was, it was pre COVID. So nobody, nobody was doing masks or, you know, excessive hand washing. So we would just kind of come to the door with the uh, little hand sanitizer pump ready for grandparents ready to go. And, you know, of course there were times where I'm sure we offended somebody by like having to tell them like, Oh, I'm so sorry, but we're not doing kisses on her right now because it's cold and flu season. And I think the grandparents, especially that was hard for, but now, you know, three years later, they totally get it. And they told, totally, you know, understand that she really can't handle sickness well. And so it was definitely awkward at first. And I did have the silly little, we got from our pediatrician is like a high risk medically complex uh, post NICU office. And so they had these little red stop signs that said, stop, don't touch. I'm a preemie, which is so silly, but I was kind of just like dangling that off of her anytime I possibly could, if we were in public, because she's a sweet, perfect little baby and people mean well, but sometimes our experiences are different Than those of healthy families. And so we just have to keep being strong, even when it feels uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) Yes. I love that you followed your instinct and you followed your gut and you knew what was best for her and you knew what was best for your family and you didn't let anything interfere with that. So I know that that's got to be encouraging to our listeners, Izzy. Let's talk about the first time that you walked into Target after being quarantined. This is, again, this is pre COVID. And you, I mean, did Everything feel like a germ fest outside your home? And were you gripped with fear, or were you excited to walk in?
0: I was so excited. I by that point, Dallas was like seven
1: months old,
0: and we had already worked through so many things from reflux to food intolerances and her getting RSV. And so I think in my mind, I just kind of compartmentalized and said okay, we're just gonna do this, we're gonna have fun. I of course brought hand sanitizer, but I really wasn't worried about the germs out there at that point. It was summer and I was just so excited to do something that felt quote unquote normal, which we've had so little of. And so just taking her around Target and she um, is a sensory kid. And so it was the first time that we had been into, you know, a store where we could look around and touch things. And so I remember I found this really soft, fuzzy pink scarf and it was like this plush fabric. And I just rubbed it on her cheek just so she could feel it to see what she would think. And she absolutely adored it. Like she became a little kitten rubbing her face on it and making the sweetest noises. And so in a way, like we got to have, our normal moment, you know, and it was really special. So then having to leave that, you know, a couple months later was really, re- that one was really hard.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you talked about how April or spring of 2020 was going to be the light at the end of the tunnel. And then bam, COVID. Did you crumble? I think I didn't really understand at
0: first. So when my husband said, you know, we need toilet paper, it's gonna, they're gonna run out of it. I was like, okay, I just didn't know what that meant. And so I, you know, started watching the news and trying to, follow what was going on. But I just kind of thought it was cute and convenient at first. Like, oh, finally, everyone who didn't understand is going to understand how hard it is to be home. And, you know, everyone's going to do it with us for the last month. And then I thought, I really thought, okay, the whole world's going to do this for a month. And then in May, then we'll all get to break out together. And won't that be fun? And that is not what happened.
1: (laughs) We don't really know if we're ever going to see the light. (laughs) And I appreciate how candid you were in the story. You're like, I drank my weight in wine. Like, I I didn't do everything right, but like, but you still kept your, your mental strength up. How? I think I
0: just knew that if I could keep my mind busy enough, I wouldn't go to the dark, deep places that I tend to go, especially because we've been through so much trauma with Dallas. And I have. A lot of PTSD that I'm working through with my therapist, but at the time I wasn't in therapy, I was just trying to survive. And so I feel like one part of it was the busyness of just being your child's caregiver when they're medically complex. I had You know, we were in the midst of trying to schedule during COVID her first MRI and her first EEG and we were having insurance problems and so to a degree I just was so busy with that that I couldn't, you know, even think about the fact that we were still stuck at home. But then on the other side, I have just always been a person who escapes into stories. It's really helped me my whole life. And so, you know, as an actress, that was a really healthy place for me to be losing myself in a story of a musical or watching a movie. And I will have cathartic moments watching the movie or or music. And so I think I just found a way to kind of do that and try to find a world that my mind could escape to while I was doing the dishes or whatever. And Long term, I really ended up finding such incredible podcasts where I could relate to other moms and Um, and their stories. And so that was a part of it too. But really for me at the time, because I couldn't deal with that trauma, I just had to busy my mind. And that was the way that I got through.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that you were intentional, that you realized that about yourself. You realized that losing yourself in story was actually very, very helpful or cathartic and that you, and that you didn't feel guilty about that. So many Moms feel like they should be organizing the garage or the kitchen or scrubbing all day long, and, and you allowed yourself without guilt to do that, and it saved you.
0: Yeah, it did. And I think having a baby who really liked to nap on me also aided in that because I am a busy, busy bee. My friends all through college called me busy bee. I'm very busy and I couldn't, I couldn't be busy. You know, she was sleeping on me or, or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) that really helped.
1: So sweet. That image of her sleeping on you, just so sweet. Can you say a little bit about reframing friendships to encourage our moms that are that are living more isolated lives whether there's covid or not.
0: Yeah, that was a really surprising piece of what happened to us. I I think, you know, we were previously really involved in a church community. We were super social and busy and then when that was gone, And we couldn't attend the church events and everything. I think I had a a sense of like, I thought I had so many friends and I think I do, but not friends that were necessarily feeling super close in that season for me or understanding. It's a really, really hard thing to understand if you've never gone through this, what our journey looks like. And so I think initially just finding a group on Facebook where there were other moms whose kids were in similar situations was kind of my first little glimpse of that. And I met another mom with a, who has two kiddos with one of Dallas's same genetic mutations, and she lived in Kansas City, which is really close to us. And so we just started messaging. And then I kind of found another mom who lived in Lawrence and had a kid with a similar condition. And I remember talking on the phone with her for hours because we were like, Oh, your kid has hypotonia? My kid has hypotonia. Oh, your Wears SMOs, my kid wears SMOs. And so I think it just created this feeling of okay, maybe they're not right here next to me, but there is someone out there who does understand, who even lives in my area. And we can have this kind of funny conversation using all of our jargon that nobody else gets. And then I had a friend named Rosie who was from our, our previous church. But we really didn't know each other at all. And there was one time I posted on Instagram about being up all night with Dallas. And she was like, can I drop you a coffee? And I was like, oh, yeah, obviously that would be amazing. But I didn't really think that she would actually do that because I don't know. It just seemed so nice. Well, next day she dropped me off a coffee. And really, it was the beginning of a friendship for us of being known and seen. And that's really something that she's passionate about is helping other moms to feel seen in the hiddenness of motherhood. So she kind of modeled that by example to me. And so that's something that I try to now for other moms kind of bring forward. I When I have a friend who's in the hospital with their child inpatient, I try to send a Starbucks gift card or um, just through the email or something or um, just something like that, because I know how much that speaks to us when you're in those crisis moments.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm really touched by that because we so badly want to be seen. And then just kind of the visual of like, I can just imagine her at your door, looking at you through the window, like I have coffee for you and I see you Izzy. And I know you're there and I know what's going on and I'm here for you. It's so beautiful. It is such a simple act of kindness and love, but it means everything.
0: I told her it was like a breath of fresh air. Like I, we had, of course, had people drop off meals and do things for us when Dallas was first born. And I think that communities are generally really good at that, but to have someone be there when she wasn't a newborn and we were, when we had just been in crisis forever was really meaningful. And the really crazy end of that story is that her son actually ended up having a rare disease which they didn't know back then and so now we had already forged this friendship of understanding and then she's in a pretty similar situation so that was a really beautiful god thing that i was like how did that happen
1: wow not a coincidence i call that a divine appointment yeah any other lesson from the trenches of this never ending isolation that you experienced izzy that you want our our brave moms to hear
0: Yeah. You know, I think I picked this up from a podcast at some point and I don't remember who. So if it's you or whomever out there, I give you all (laughs) But someone said something about in like how inside of our homes, things can be our versions of perfect. And that really, really spoke to me because since we were going back and forth from quarantine to not quarantine, I had a taste of what it was like to just be our little nugget of a family and how comfy and warm and loving and safe that felt. And I also had a sense of what it felt to be walking around with my child using a gait trainer in public and having people look and watch and ask questions and can't she walk without that thing and you know things that hurt. And so I think I have now found that our home really can be our own perfect. And even now when we are or aren't in quarantine, just taking solace in the space of my little family of three and our dog and kind of letting all of those worries of the world go and just leave them outside the home has been a really healing and helpful thing for me.
1: Mm, Beautifully said, Izzy. Our own version of perfect There's some radical acceptance. Like you made peace with our version of, of perfect. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your heart, sharing what you've been through. It really means a lot.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and, and for letting me share my story.
1: (laughs) You are not alone. Find your people. FaceTime, Zoom, coffee, walks, a glance through a window, whatever you can do. And remember that this road is long, but you're walking alongside a group of moms who are for you and with you. Who knows what 2022 will bring? But if the last year, last year and a half has taught us anything, it's that we are so much more in need and capable of connection than we ever knew. And so much of the key to endurance is found in our ability to walk in community. You are loved for the long, haul. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you want to connect with other moms who get it, join our international tribe and sisterhood at wearebravetogether.org. And remember... Always, you are not alone.